Welcome to Hogan Lovell's newest podcast, Digital Assets and Blockchain, The Influencers. We're bringing you interviews with some of the most interesting and thoughtful voices, creating change in the digital asset space and highlighting the trends and issues you should have on your radar screen. In this episode, our London-based fintech partner, John Salmon, speaks with Sean Jones, senior partner at XREG Consulting and the architect of Gibraltar's DLT policy, about why and how new regulatory approaches to crypto and digital assets are needed and how industry and government can begin to tackle these challenges. So, Shan, thanks again for agreeing to appear on our Digital Assets and Blockchain podcast. My first question to you, Shan, is how did you get into the whole wacky world of crypto and digital assets? The wacky world of, Chris, of crypto, yes. Well, thank you, John, for, for inviting me and uh, um, uh, letting me uh, talk, as I so love to do, about the regulation of, uh, of crypto. But how did I get into this? I, I think... Um, I've now been in in, uh, in technology for 50 years. When I was 19, I uh, I, I started a, a, a tech career and spent much of my life uh, in in technology and and finished my corporate life, if you like, as a, as CIO of a small but multinational um, organization. And um, as I stepped out of the world of real work into um, at the going headlong into uh, a more relaxed living I suddenly found uh, that I was uh, doing a few bits of consultancy as one does and was intrigued by this new use case for uh, cryptography so I, I was excited really by the um, by the technological implications uh, of this new application for cryptography. And one thing led to another, and I started getting involved in some policy, public policy issues in in Whitehall and Westminster. And then some folks in in Brussels asked me to give evidence in the European Parliament the first time they talked about what was then known as, as solely as virtual currencies. And one thing led to another, and I was invited to create a, a a regulatory framework for crypto businesses uh, for the government of Gibraltar and um, created what I still today believe was the first comprehensive regime. Uh, and from there, I joined the regulator in Gibraltar, uh, regulating this, uh, this space. And three years ago, I and several other former regulators got together in a public policy and uh, regulatory affairs consulting firm that we call uh, XREG, for, of which I am proud to be senior partner. So yeah, that's how I ended up in the wacky world of uh, of crypto, and on both sides of it, on the on the uh, public and uh, private sector sides of this wacky business. And you know, looking at what's going on around the world, what do you see as the key? Um, issues arising from from regulators uh, globally and how they're approaching digital assets? Well, that raises some very interesting questions. You know, regulators, policymakers and regulators first started identifying um, what today we just generically call crypto as having potential for, for risks. After all, it's risks in public good that policymakers and ultimately regulators are, are, are engaged in. And I think you'll find some quite 
excellent work that came out. A good example would be um, from the EBA, the European Banking Authority, back in, I think it was 2014. Uh, FATF also came out with its first report at that time. Uh, and particularly the, the EBA report identified, I think, 50 or 60 different risks of this new stuff. Uh, and I think a lot of the last few years, probably the last eight years, has been spent by regulators waiting and seeing rather than acting on the foresight that some of that early work might have given them. This is unfortunate because I think folks have lost money. Uh, sadly, we're, we're sort of recording this at crypto winter, uh, only a few months old, really, and folks have, and even more recently, in quite large amounts, been losing money. Uh, and I think, to some extent, regulators waited too long, or policymakers at least waited too long, to start addressing those risks. And I guess today, they're trying to do it with a very limited tool set, the tool set that already exists for financial services, uh, for the regulation of financial services. And that is, you know, that's different stuff. Now, policymakers in this field will often talk about, uh, well, if it's the same activities, same market functions, for example, same activities, uh, and they represent the same risks, there should be the same rules, the same regulations. Uh, and to be honest, I think that's um, uh, an outmoded approach because it is naturally limiting. We need to do something. Uh, and you, you see on the one hand in that statement discussions around both traditional risks, and there are many risks that are the same or similar, but also novel risks. And then a few sentences away, you see the mantra of, well, same activities or same business, same risks, same regulations. Uh, and it can't be both things. Really what policymakers and regulators ought to be thinking about are the regulatory outcomes. What What's the public good? What are we trying to avoid happen? And then go and look at how can we do that by analysing the risks, whether they're traditional or novel, and then uh, come up with an appropriate set of measures to mitigate those harms. Unfortunately, the start point is, what is the business? What's the activity? Has it got some of the same risk? Well, they're only looking at the same risks then. That sort of naturally excludes full contemplation of novel risks. And well, we'll solve these things by uh, applying the same regulations. And as we have come to learn over these last few uh, years, crypto doesn't always work the same way. FAT have recognized this in coming up with a different version of its funds transfer rule known as the travel rule. That's a, a part recognition of the problem. But unfortunately, the content largely is one of copying and pasting as far as is possible from the traditional space. So I think that's a, a really big challenge for regulators is, um, is the one of understanding that different stuff uh, needs to be viewed through a different lens and the regulatory outcomes are what really counts and thinking outside the box now is not too late. That's challenge number one. Challenge number two is how to deal with decentralization and um, so-called DeFi, decentralized finance. Now, for of course, 
I think it's now pretty widely understood that not everything that's labeled decentralized finance, DeFi, is necessarily decentralized. And there's a scrabble for, for policymakers and regulators to try and come up with adequate definitions or taxonomies of what makes a particular protocol or project um, decentralized or not. Sadly, saying, well, it needs to be centralized isn't really the answer because that DeFi stuff is still going to exist. It's just going to become more decentralized. And if one wants an example of, of how that might work, you need look no further than Bitcoin. We don't know today who Satoshi Nakamoto uh, was or is, whether it's a single person or whether it was a group of people. We are none the wiser today. And so although there are some areas of potential centralization in the way that it works, the reality is that the thing that is Bitcoin is still largely decentralized and there's still largely no one to regulate other than gatekeepers between that uh, decentralized Bitcoin system and the fiat world, the traditional finance world, traditional market activities, if you like. Um, where those gatekeepers exist, of course, you can regulate them, but where they don't exist, you can't. I would probably say it's going to be impossible to regulate. And if it's impossible to regulate, then it is decentralized. And if it is possible to regulate, then it is not decentralized. That would be an interesting challenge to see. Unfortunately, the way that policy and regulation is going now, I think we're going to see more and more being pushed, more activity being pushed into making stuff truly decentralized. So today, what have we got? We've got uh, activities going on in pretty much everywhere around the world. You've got the G20 and FSB pushing for uh, more universal approaches to the regulation of this space. But we can already see that having started to take some effect. We can see in Europe, after a little over two years, the markets in crypto assets regulation, Mika, has now at long last passed through the various legislative processes. Um, it's now been passed by the 27 member states and by the parliament and probably will be published in all the official languages of the European Union next spring. And then 18, well, in varying periods up to 18 months, it will come into force and be effective throughout not only the EU, but also some EEA countries. And we can start to see activity in the US starting to get underway. Now, they're probably on pause due to the midterm elections, but I think we can see something real happening in the new year. There are a number of draft bills on the table and there is broadly bipartisan support. So I think something will pop out and it will probably be that uh, one of the many sheriffs in in the US will be appointed the real crypto regulator for certainly spot activity and the existing securities regulator becoming um, much more robust in its approach towards those things that are 
in effect securities. So I think over this next year or two, we will see lots of real regulation, but it'll look a lot like the traditional stuff and won't necessarily meet those um, those future challenges. So do you see the future of DeFi regulation being effectively impossible if it is truly decentralized? Technically, no. I think it is possible. Um, I think policymakers probably should have been working with uh, developers over a number of years to try and find ways to build in tools into their decentralized projects so that they almost become the norm that uh, address public harms. Uh, th- there are a number, you know, the obvious ones that often cited, of course, is money laundering and Yep. But, but there are other prudential protections we've seen probably very necessary if you think back over uh, the Terra Luna incident over the, over Celsius yep. over yep. a number of these projects so I think there was an opportunity to to almost make them the, you know built in by defaults um, regul- in a sense a form of regulation by by design I fear that day has passed. And I fear that regulators are just not going to be fleet of foot to try and re-engage sufficiently with those developers to make that happen, which means that really there's a bifurcation already underway. There's institutionalized crypto, which is largely traditional market activities, market functions, just with a new asset class. And they'll be regulated as I as I alluded to before, in traditional ways. And then there will be the truly decentralized stuff. And by definition, I, I would say it is decentralized if it cannot be regulated. If it can be regulated, then it's not decentralized. And do you think the consequence of that is that you will find some basically taking the option of keeping themselves anonymous? Yes. Yes. I, I think we will... We will find folks looking back at the history of crypto, uh, consider how successful Satoshi Nakamoto was, or they were, at developing and deploying something which has allowed them to remain completely anonymous uh, with the kind of smart contracts that are available today, I think, uh, and the, the methods of deployment today. I think building an application and deploying it on a blockchain is uh, in in anonymous ways is the mechanic of the tools for that already exist. I think it's going to be easy. And I think uh, you won't be able to point a finger at a single individual or even a small group of individuals who were instrumental. Inevitably, regulators are going to look to someone to hold accountable. Even in the, you know, DeFi in name only space that, you know, eventually, and uh, we've seen again examples of this quite recently where, you know, participants in a DAO or developers or deployers of uh, decentralized networks have come, if you like, in the, in the gun sites of regulators. And I, I think we'll see a lot more of that, but that's just going to drive more of the development and deployment of decentralized finance applications into the underground. Now, I'm not saying the underground as in a, in the sense of, um, you know, dark markets. I'm yeah. talking about into the underground of deploying 
stuff on the internet that just won't be visible. You won't find an individual. There will be no individual or small group of individuals that you can find. And I, I believe that is a, a very likely outcome, the sort of reaction to the same activity, same risk, same rules mindset is simply to say, fine, we'll build this stuff that isn't the same activity, same risk, same regulations, because same regulations mean, um, you know, holding individuals or companies or typically individuals ultimately to account. And for that, you need to be able to identify the individuals. So, I mean, I think we've sort of touched on this already, but what do you see, given what you've said about regulation and, and where this is going, what would you see as the key challenges for the industry in responding to this new regulation that we're seeing coming through? Well, if you're in the institutional space, you want to perform traditional market functions, you want to undertake traditional market functions, then the last few years where you may have been able to conduct some of those activities in an unregulated space, that's going to evaporate. And I think you've just got to get used to the idea that you're going to be regulated and you're going to be regulated largely in traditional ways. And the challenge there is just to address how the costs of complying with that traditional form of regulation can be built into one's business model. So that's a, a real challenge. Understanding when you're in that institutional space and when you're doing something outside it uh, comes from legal and regulatory certainty. And as the laws where they are needed, where new laws are needed or regulations as regulators publish their interpretations, if you like, and their rules, that certainty is coming. So it'll be a lot easier for you to understand when you're in and when you're out. And I guess a challenge then is, do you want to be in or do you want to be out? Do you want to make money in traditional ways, in which case, fine, you're clearly going to be in? Or do you want to follow in the footsteps of, if you like, the aims of projects like Bitcoin and Ethereum and pursue this alternative way of doing things. And if so, uh, you may not make as much money. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, I don't know. But you may be unable to generate the sort of scale and volume that you might in the institutional world, but you can certainly do so without many of the costs. And if you have the regulatory and legal certainty, then you'll be able to do so with relative impunity, not that you would be breaking any rules, you'd just be working outside the rules. If you know where the moat is, if you know where the walls are, you know, where's that perimeter? It's much easier to decide whether you want to be inside the perimeter or out. Very interesting. Thanks, Sean. I think it is a real challenge. And I think it's a challenge, you know, if I just look at it through a UK lens for a minute, we've been talking to clients. And if you are a bank, global bank, that obviously has lots of processes for AML, you still need, if you want to get into crypto, any, you still need a crypto AML registration, which of course takes another six, nine, 12 months. Uh, yeah, that, that that's optimistic timeline, uh, given well, <laughs> experience of the last couple of years. Um, yeah. And and indeed, that's that's one of the challenges, you know, regulators like to deal with things that they know and understand. And when they're new and novel, it takes longer to get to grips with them. There are other challenges, of course, around uh, whether regulators and government policymakers are always aligned. That's a, still a challenge in many places. 
yep. you know, aligned in their thinking. But yes, inevitably, when stuff is siloed, um, and so you've got this traditional banking box, but you've also got this novel crypto box. And the rules for the novel crypto box, ironically, are very much modeled on the other box, the traditional box. It's kind of ironic that the processes are such that you have to duplicate and therefore incur more cost and delay. And ultimately, cost and delay is a cost on customers that's borne by customers, which seems somewhat ironic. Yeah, no, absolutely. Shan, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. Very much enjoyed the conversation wide-ranging as as expected. I'm sure of great interest to our listeners. Thanks again, Chan. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, John, for inviting me. Visit hoganlevels.com forward slash blockchain for more podcasts and other resources, or download more episodes from the Apple Podcast app or the Google Podcast app for Android users.